Yes, sir. Yeah. The man wanted to ride. What did he do? Swing down, sweet child. If you're feeling my vibe, then we can all just ride. If you want to get down, then we can all just ride. All the people throw your hands up high and just ride. Where you're from, east side or west side. All right, Jason, we just watched The Last Dance, ESPN, and the Netflix collaboration. Um, it was about all things Michael Jordan, Chicago Bulls, their sixth championship run dynasty. There was a focus on the 1997-1998 season. When someone asks you about the last dance, whether it's today, five, ten years from now, what do you think you will tell them? Um, I'll probably just think of it as the that moment where basketball sort of ascended to that new plateau where it was, it was accepted in the mainstream. That's kind of how I'm seeing it now. Like I, I the, the last dance was, was really interesting. Like I was a kid when I watched the basketball, the, all, all that basketball at that time. And I didn't understand the significance. And now with the, being able to look back, I'm seeing how relevant it became through the nineties with Jordan and his ascension. And then it just sort of set the stage for the next you know, the next 20 years, which are, you know, the years of, uh, of LeBron. So that's how I'm going to think of it sort of paved the way in the same way that maybe Hulk Hogan did for the, for the WW then WWF. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking of Michael Jordan as exactly. He's, he's the Hulk Hogan. He's the Mike Tyson. Um, he's the, um, I guess the Wayne Gretzky, although yeah, I, I would um, yeah, because because we have to yeah, Wayne Gretzky is 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 tempered right because he's a Canadian star and although even though he did move to but you know we're talking the biggest that the sport had to offer and guys like Jordan Tyson Gretzky moved to the next level. Um, I'm thinking in the '80s when. Um, you know, I'm just trying to think of Maradona. You know, we okay. kind of weren't there for that boom, and and I'm, but you know, I'm told from from people that, you know, he absolutely just captivated that soccer audience that hadn't been tapped into before, right? So, um, yeah, I'm just gonna just so that's, like, oh, sorry. Yeah, you go, you go. Sorry. No, I was just gonna say it's we're talking the top 0.1 percent of the top one yeah. percent of of mega global athletes just guys that were absolute needle movers they were they were alphas they were trendsetters they were global superstars yeah i mean it's it's probably jordan tyson ali pele we're talking a very short list that you yeah. can probably fit in either one hand two hands most yeah so you, you pretty much hit it in that last part there i think where i was taking exception when you mentioned maradona and gretzky like with Jordan, and it gets even maybe narrower than Pele. I mean, well, I'm not, this might be my North American bias here, but Jordan is this cultural icon, this global icon. So it's two things. Number one, his absolute dominance among his peers at that time, which is just when he was on the court, it just it was so centered around what he was going to do, how he was going to succeed or fail. In the same way, Tiger, Tiger dominated his sport. Just the gap between them and everybody else was so big. I, and then you couple that with what impact they had culturally, like outside of the sport and how it crossed into all these other, like other parts of the world, whether it was uh, 
entertainment and fashion and business. So that was, that's something that's different. Um, that, that's, that's, that's just only a, yeah, like you said, it's a very few, it's a very small group of people that, uh, that, that are in that, in that realm. So I think, uh, Jordan is a one of one. Um, and I think that's how I'm going to think of the last dance, like some several years from now, you know? Yeah, it's really interesting to bring it up that way because I think if you were asked Jason Ayer about this, this, you probably want to emphasize that this was a Chicago Bulls documentary. So, but we've just been talking about Michael so far. How, how do, what am I trying to ask here? Like, the was Bulls? this, a, what, yeah, was this a Michael Jordan? Yeah, not a Chicago Bulls. Yeah, that's a good question, and you know why I think that's it is as much a Bulls documentary and a Jordan. It goes hand in hand, is because I think the greatness of Jordan. I mean, part of it is that whole narrative, the way he created one three peat, then he had another three peat, and he had that walk off shot, and then you know that was it. Is he also was surrounded by this really just extraordinary team? Like you've got Hall of Famers in Pippen and Rodman. Uh, Steve Kerr, I know for others, other reasons he'll get it, like because of his other championships and his other co- his you know post-playing career is what he's going to get in. Uh, Phil Jackson. So that whole ensemble is a legendary team, and that adds to the allure of Jordan himself because he was the best player on that team. Because fast forward a bit, if you look at LeBron, how many of his teams now, like we think of how great he is in different plays and, and just his achievements in eight straight finals, which hadn't been achieved since like the 50s or whatever it was, but it's it's i don't know if future generations who will never have seen him play will know about the myth of lebron in the same way like we know say babe ruth um and like now michael jordan because like there are other really great players in the 60s and 70s whether it was kareem or oscar robertson i mean we hear about them we hear about their their achievements but there, it takes like all-time teams in some way that sort of that help you get remembered in a team sport, and that's how I'm thinking of it. That's why that Jordan's Bulls there in the '90s—they're really going to stand the test of time. Like LeBron will stand, kind of whoever saw him, but because his teams themselves were not as legendary, like whether it was the Cavs or even the Heat, that that that's why I don't think uh, it necessarily will uh, stand up the same way. Yeah, Jordan seems like. He was part of the Beatles and, you know, whether you want to call him John Lennon or or Paul McCartney and LeBron James is, you know, he's, he's whatever Chris Cornell's band was at the time, you know, it was just him and he'd move, he, 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 you know, he'd go from, go to audio slave and then he'd be his own front man. It's very interesting how they, how you, that's, that's what I thought of right away when you were talking about Jordan and the Bulls and LeBron James featuring five other in some cases, Hall of Famers, right? He's played with Hall of Fame guys. Yeah. It's crazy that we, yeah, we don't talk about those Miami Heat teams. I mean, they've made it to four straight finals, and yeah. pretty crazy. So I, I want to actually jump on that because you and I have talked about this in the past. This is actually a function and I think a flaw in North American sports thinking okay. because LeBron James, and forget LeBron James, just, you know, even like a, trying to think like a Tim Duncan, um, uh, a guy who's won championships and lost championships. Um, Those guys would be, they would be 
considered still top tier in Europe if this was soccer, because soccer has a different way of defining team okay. championships, individual championships. There's there's a more there's there's a there's a there's not just this uni focus on rings and how many of them you won and and how many t- and so Jordan's you know six for six, right? I mean that's what everyone keeps keeps throwing up there, and it's just there's a sort of symmetry I, I with that. Bring but, something up with you about that later, but keep going. So with 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 Europe and you know, say a star in Europe, for example, take a Wayne Rooney. He has never won. Um, he's never won a World Cup and he's never won a European Championship, but he's, he's pretty much won everything ever since. And he, okay. that man, walks on water. Okay. In Europe, in England, and even when he came to North America, soccer fans know how to treat Wayne Rooney like a goddamn star. And that's why Ronaldo and Messi, um, even though they've never won the quote-unquote big championships, guys like the Brazilian Ronaldo, the Dan. Even Maradona. I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's Ronaldo and Messi that are probably going to be ahead of those guys when it's all said and done. Okay. And these guys did not bring home the biggest hardware for their country. So it's very interesting how we in North America yeah. uh, dictate who well, who are the mega stars. But that is a, it's a basketball thing, right? Because in the NFL, you could win one Super Bowl or maybe even not, and you're still seen as a really great all-timer right i feel like what changes with basketball mm, is yeah it's the one sport even among all the team sports where a singular player when you're the best in the world you can change the fortunes of the team it can you actually when you have the best player already a, uh you're a viable contender for the championship in that year that's not really the case in any of the other sports really right um uh it depends 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 i'll say this i'll say this i will i will meet you halfway basketball is the most mono a mono of the team sports. So yeah. you play probably so a, a player like Jordan will play like 90% of the game. In yeah. hockey you're playing half. Football you're playing a third. Okay. Baseball you're playing half. Yeah. Um and in soccer but here's the funny thing, in soccer you're playing the entire game but because it's 11 on 11. Yeah. It's, you're you right, you do have to rely on your team. Exactly. It just it just yeah. comes down to Ball possession, probability yeah. in basketball. I mean, I think of LeBron's uh, crazy run against um, his first finals appearance against the Spurs when him and the Cavs got swept. But prior to that, yeah. I think it was game five against um, – I think it was game five against the Pistons where he took okay. yep. every shot in the fourth quarter. I think the yeah. whole second half. It was, it was an unbelievable game. Yeah. I think he scored the last 37 points for the Cavs or something ridiculous like that. Yeah. And here's a guy in, in a team sport, but yet – he, one player just completely took over. So you're absolutely yeah. right about one player in basketball can dominate a team sport. And because of that, we place this burden on that player that if the team can't win a championship, it must be because of that team, because of that player. Like if you have 11 guys yeah. on the field, if they don't win, I mean, there's a lot of factors when that the player's like not even touching the ball. And really there's also a goalkeeper. So it, that the goalkeeper let the ball and that doesn't happen in basketball. Right. I mean, so I, yeah. I and also I think maybe the greatness of Jordan sort of uh, muddied the waters for everybody else that came after him because, well, look at this guy. He had two three peats. Um, he just dominated an entire decade, basically him. Whereas previously, dynasties were revolving around casts of members and the Lakers and the Celtics and other Celtics, the Bulls. I mean, maybe some of that is a bit of the marketing too. Like I, I don't know if his teammates got enough of the credit at the time. I think there's. A little more credit given to some of the other folks now, like Scotty and 
and and I guess to a degree like her and Kukoc. I think there's a bit of that now, like because of the recognition of what a team oriented offense looks like in the modern NBA. And so therefore now people are superimposing that lens onto a previous era. And so, but I, I think that, um, yeah, somewhere, I don't know if it was always the case before the Bulls in the 90s where where there was always that question, well, how many rings have you won, you know? I, I don't know if that's the case. Um, okay, six of six, two points to bring up. Uh, first point, I always think that's a flawed argument that I've always heard being said, six of six, because he lost in 95. Yeah, I know they want to say he just came back midseason, but he came back. He's lost know, before. He's lost before. That, but, that's but, my whole thing. Like, that, you know, well, before that, though, I'm just saying that at least if people want to, like, you can cut up the argument first. He lost before he got into the finals. But let's say we say, okay, fine. Before his first finals, after that, he became who he was and he didn't lose in the finals. Yeah, but he lost to Shaq and Penny. And what I'm saying is he joined a team at the same time, too, like would be when people who come up, come on, like, after a tra- after the trade deadline or before the before the uh, the deadline to make the playoffs. So, and that team made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. So, they weren't chump change. If they were, they would have just been out in the first round. So I, I think that, like, yeah, he six. I mean, it's anyway, just, it's I, I just, just, I'm nitpicking. It's just, about it's just so. com- yeah, it's just confirmation bias. If you want, if, if again, we'll discuss this, but if you want Jordan to be the greatest of all time, you have a very easy stat to pick, and that is the man won six championships and six finals appearances, and that's that's okay. that's it. It's it's. It's kind of a slam dunk argument, but it's not really. I'm not buying it. Clearly, you don't because there's, you know, if, you, if we're going to discuss these things, there's actually an intelligent way to discuss them because it is diminishing of other people's accomplishments whose numbers are just as impressive. They just yeah. don't look as good, you know, because, you know, sometimes, yeah, it's just, it just comes to, it's just, it's just confirmation bias for me at the end of the day. If he, if he for whatever reason, loses in either of those Utah uh, series because he could have. I mean, they were Utah was a good team, and it, it wasn't necessarily yeah. a cakewalk. If he did, how, do you think that changes anything? I mean, it, it's tough to really say because at the time, no, because no one was better than him still. Even if he won okay. five and six, no one had done that. It, and, yeah, okay. We would have just taken it as, yeah, that's what happens. You know, the fans Yeah, absolutely. There was no standard. Everybody he, he was at some point, right? He was like the even, standard. He yeah, made the rules. Yeah. It would have just been like, hey, Tyson yeah. knock, got knocked out by Buster Douglas. That happens. You know, you, you, you play long yeah. enough, you're going to lose a game. That's probably how we would have seen it. Yeah. That's absolutely true. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, and, and truthfully, I mean, it's not like he was going after Bill Russell's record. I don't think anyone's going to go after Bill Russell's record. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, what are, what are we talking about? At the, yeah, what are we talking about at the end of the day? So, Jordan winning. Okay, let's, let's um, you know, we actually have an interesting question. This comes from oh, Pete yeah. Stojanovic from... Yeah, Pete okay. Stoyanovich from Dearborn, Michigan. Okay. Hey, Pete. Laces were in, right? Pardon? Hey, guys, what was more impressive, the first three-peat or the second? Um, you're right, because they did win two. And even if they say, say there was no second three-peat, but there was a second run of championship, championships, so maybe the Bulls won three um, the year that they won the, let's see now, 91, 92, 93, and then maybe they won, oh, I don't know, Let's say 96 and 97, and then lost in 98. Or maybe they sandwiched the 96 and the 98. Yeah. Um, what, in your opinion, was the more impressive? Um, uh, what, in your opinion, was the more impressive uh, three-peat of the Chicago Bulls? Yeah. 
My opinion is it's the second three-peat. I know that the league had gone through more expansion between the from the early 90s to late 90s, so therefore the regular season records kind of were more impressive in the second uh, the second three-peat. But it looked like a, it just looked like much more of a struggle. Like you, you saw them first. We mentioned how we, they lost to, to Magic the year before, and yeah, some of that's Jordan just coming back, but that's also you know you got a lot of young guys coming in. The Bulls are getting older every year. It's clear that you see in the last dance just what a struggle it was for that team where Pippen's back is hurt and Rodman's he's just one year away from just being checked out of just the of, of being just checked out of like playing basketball and just the internal dissension within the organization and Jordan who himself was like yeah he retired relatively young compared to today's players but that was kind of on the older side at that for a guard in the 90s and I think it, he, you know, Jordan acknowledged like what a how proud he was that he could combine his intellect for basketball as well as his physical ability in that in that final season, and I get it. So I'm much more impressed with that that uh, second three P. And and also just you have to you can't escape the narrative, which is they had this kind of all time cast of just characters and the allure on that team and the the celebrity around it, so that they are under such a microscope from the world media every single night. That adds to the pressure. That adds to the drama, and it just makes it that much more tough. It just makes it tougher, I think, to perform. Um, so I, I got to give it to the second one. How about you? I'm gonna pick. Yeah, I'm gonna piggyback off that. Not only that, but Jordan has to change his game. I mean, he was had to be more jump shot happy. He had sure. yeah, he just that explosion there. He yeah, he had a collapse on him better. Uh, he absolutely he was not about that. He wasn't the athlete that he. Yeah, he wasn't the athlete that he was for the first repeat. Um, it, it didn't even matter. It just it just made him he it just made him razor sharp for his other skills and the other fundamentals of his game. That um, yeah. even though he did rely on Scotty more, it seemed and uh, and Dennis and they all had to uh, play a better system. But I mean, Michael just transforming his game. It kind of reminds me of um, and people are gonna laugh at this, but. Um, when I first saw DeMar DeRozan his first okay. couple of years, I'm just like, my, my God, this guy is just, you know, he's he's a nice little Toronto player. And then just he p- puts on like 20 pounds one year and he's getting this fadeaway jumper. I'm like, is that all it takes is one summer? So, you know, with Jordan, I'm just right. so amazed that he just wasn't the player. I don't even think he was the player from the year before, even when he was the 45 and came okay. back and, and had the disappointing run against uh, – he just – I'm so impressed of how he changed his game. And yeah. it's not like he was a pure jump shooter. He was, he's always been a scorer. He just had to find different yeah. ways of scoring. And that was just, this is so impressive that he, um, he changes his game because he knew yeah. that um, the defenses were going to play him differently. And he kind of was that aging Batman that uh, we've seen in the comics where he had to just be wiser and more tactical in his approach. So really cool to see. Yeah. No, I, I completely um, agree. Yeah, so uh, a follow-up question to that comes from uh, Karen Volkman from Venice Beach, California, at Box Wine Lover. Interesting. Who is more important, Horace Grant or Dennis Rodman? I, I got I feel bad for Horace Grant because, my God, I was a huge Magic fan, and when he signed the Magic and was just part of he became the big three with him, Shaq, and Penny, and he was so good with the Magic for okay. three years, I guess, until uh, Shaq left. But... Um, found it interesting that Horace Grant's not in the Basketball Hall of Fame. Um, I guess he just doesn't have the numbers and whatnot, but 
Um, yeah, I mean, I'm going to say that obviously Rodman was probably more important for the reasons that you outlined, that they were an older team and they needed that they needed that X factor, that unselfish player, and that was Dennis. He just was so reliable, even though he was unreliable. Um, In-game, he was just an absolute, absolute mastodon. But, man, like, can we not give love to Horace Grant? I mean, I just feel like this guy is just forgotten, even though he was featured prominently, um, positively yeah, and negatively I in mean, the documentary. But, 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 yeah, I just feel like, you know, when we are talking about Chicago Bulls and the dynasty, I mean, in this documentary, it's like, yeah, Steve Kerr, Horace Grant, yeah, they were both equal. Mm, I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, like, it's like, uh, I mean, Horace Grant, great player, uh, had a good career. But Dennis Rodman's in the Hall of Fame, and he is there for a reason. He was he's a winner. He's a champion, multiple time champion on multiple teams. He like if you want to get down into the nitty gritty of like kind of the most important plays down the stretch. I mean, I, I can't remember exactly the sequence, but he hit like an important shot in that Utah series to to bring that win that title. Um, yep, he was doing things that no one else was doing. David, when David Aldridge says that he's the best on-ball defender that he's ever seen, I mean, you, I don't, I wouldn't take that lightly. So, like, I mean, Rodman is, it was, is, I don't know, I, I, I consider if yeah, I mean, I, to be honest, I mean, like, I, I see this kind of, I don't even really know if I agree with the question, but because it's just, it's kind of just two different situations, but um, agreed, agreed. Because yeah, if you take Horace Grant off those, if that off 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 the first team, the three peat team in the first three peat, then I don't know if they win those. At least I don't know if they win all three. Uh, and same thing. With That's Rodman. really interesting. Um, you know, they both they were both very important pieces to both teams. So. Um, yeah, that, that's kind of how I'm seeing it. But if you want to ask me who's a better player, yeah, I, I'm going to give it to Rodman. He he does what he does to a T. He explained kind of the science behind how he was getting rebounds. And, and so I thought that was kind of interesting. Oh, that was fantastic. That was that was incredible. Yeah, that yeah. coupled, I think, um, so for our viewers, um, listeners, if you want kind of the complete Rodman story, I would, after watching Last Dance, watch the 30 for 30 on the bad boys. Um, he discusses his relationship with uh, Chuck Daly, and um, you get a different appreciation for Dennis. You, you put it this way, this documentary with the bad boys documentary, you'll get a more complete picture of Dennis Rodman. But absolutely fascinating the way he would uh, turn into this defensive rebounder. Um. So we're talking about let's let's get a few things let's get a few things on the table here. This for me was probably one of the greatest sports documentaries of all time. Again, it's kind of the first. It's kind of a ten part series. It's almost like um, it's almost like Ken Burns did a sports yeah. documentary. I mean, ten episodes. It's, it's fantastic. Um, and this probably will be the new norm. And also, there's probably good. <laughs> There's probably going to be ten-part documentary sports series on subjects that really don't need ten parts. Um, so I just want to say that this was—I mean, this one—I really enjoyed the thirty for thirty OJ. Um, okay. That was four parts, I believe. Um, there's been some great sports docs. The uh, you know the Andre the Giant that HBO did uh, when we were kings, the Muhammad Ali and okay. George Foreman yeah. uh, doc. There's been some seminal sports documentaries and 
this one kind of just came and it capitalized on the episodic nature of TV today. And, 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 you know, we can really do 10 part series. We're not confined to 90 minutes. Yeah. Um, tell all. So they had a lot of advantages that maybe these other subjects didn't. Um, so for me, this was, listen, it's probably top one, top two sports talks of all time. I just, I just, I cannot be more clear about that, but to just give it glowing reviews and complete thumbs up across the board would be a bit of mis, bit of malpractice. Um, the thing that I struggled with was, and Sam Smith, the Chicago journalist also said, because he's, He's called bullshit to the whole uh, okay. the pizza story, the the flu game. So, oh, okay, um, okay. And yeah, so well, but but me, you know, it, without getting into that, yeah, yeah. Whether okay. he it doesn't matter. Well, he says he actually didn't get into it. He just said that never happened. So okay. he's he's maintaining journalistic credibility that the the flu game was not due to pizza. And insert your own whether Michael was partying the night before or he was sick for other reasons. Anyways, doesn't matter. The point is, is that he, he I think he said it best. That this was that the last dance was based on a true story. In other words, yes, the Chicago Bulls won six championships and six trips. Um, you know, Michael had his early struggles, won three in a row, took a year and a half off. The heat with uh, Jerry Krause was real. With you know, uh, but but I guess kind of the. Um, the stories and the way they work themselves out. He he said, "Listen, this is based on a true story, right?" And when we've all seen those movies, and we've enjoyed them, right? So, when I see Michael Jordan on screen, I feel like there was a pattern when it came to Jordan's flaws, right? There was and his excuses. Um, the '92 Dream Team. Oh yes, Michael. He didn't blackball Isaiah. He, Isaiah just didn't make the grade for whatever reason, meritocracy or chemistry or whatnot. Um, Michael, he wasn't a bully. He was just a perfectionist, and he tried to get the best out of his teammates. Um, he doesn't have a gambling addiction. This is my favorite. Uh, he has a competition addiction. What do you make of how they handled Michael's flaws? Because I was, I was – I was yelling at the TV at times when I saw that. Again, I enjoyed the hell out of the series, Jason, for all the reasons yeah. I mentioned. But these things stuck out like a sore thumb, and they're really hard for me to get over. So how do you address how yeah, Jordan's I mean, flaws were addressed? I didn't really have any strong opinion either way. I mean, like, uh, the game, the only thing that was really, because to be honest with the documentary, yeah, well done. Um, the Like, the one of the things I didn't really know as much about was the uh, the extent to which he was involved with the uh, the kind of I guess the organized mobsters, um, mm -hmm. but uh, or the alleged mobsters? I don't I don't know what did he actually if they were convicted I can't remember. But um, well, he was he was he was involved with he was involved with uh, with bookies. You know, he was involved yeah, yeah, yeah. in. Sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm he, more just he like had, calling he, somebody a mobster if they yeah. weren't actually convicted of anything. That's all. But uh, right. the. Um, like his like kind of how it's portrayed i mean it's really just how he re responds like he he's gonna share his view of like whether he thought he had a gambling problem or not and he's addressing like the dream team now as he sees it now are there any lies or is it as he sees it as the truth and it's his view i mean he's entitled to his view um he um i mean 
I, I don't really have a problem with it. It's just like he's an executive producer. It's his story. The, the footage doesn't get released without his sign off. Um, and it's expected. And this happens with any biography, any biopic, like anything like this, where after it's released, there's going to be people who challenge it. I mean, we see this in, in any realm, right? When history textbooks are published in, um, in, in different countries, uh, sometimes there are disputes about how accurate has this stuff been kept portrayed in this textbook. So it's, it's not new. Uh, didn't really bother me because it's just the, you know, the, uh, people are free to discuss after. Um, I, and I don't think he is thinking that he told a lie or misrepresenting anything. I think that he's allowing it to be put out there and he's giving his take. This is what I see it as now. The, the dream team and Isaiah, like, I mean, Jack McCollum, I was listening to his interviews with uh, Zach Lowe and he apparently, and I haven't heard it because apparently he's put it out there as straight up tapes that just captured Jordan saying that, no, I don't want to play with those Isaiah. So, so Jack McCollum yeah, those, those are out there. was calling a bit of BS on, on that. Um, saying the way it's portrayed in the document in the last dance is a little bit of a, uh, what, I don't know what the right word is, a bit of a trying to sidestep the the the, the issue. I mean, yeah, it doesn't really bother me. I mean, we're, it's just, it's, you're seeing everything as it is from Jordan's eyes. So um, we got the whole 10 parter out of it. So I, I don't know. I don't really have any issue with yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. And, and you're right. And, and okay, let me rephrase. You're right. I don't have a problem with Jordan's handedness, whether he's bullshitting or not. I guess I have a problem with the way it was laid out. It was, you're right. It was, Here's Jordan's flaw. Here's Jordan talking about his flaw. Here's a reporter, whether it was Bob Costas or, um, you know, or uh, Ahmad Rashad. Okay. And, and and off to the next. In other words, we're gonna we're not gonna address the elephants are in the room. We're just gonna say that there is an elephant in the room and walk away. Again, you're right. He is an executive producer, and people have to realize this that, you know. Um, if I was Jason Ayer and I said to him, uh, okay, Michael, I'm going to ask you some hard-hitting questions. He's like, okay, bring it, bro. And uh, and he gives me that response, that he has a competition problem. W what am I to do? Cut? Michael, no, that's, that's terrible. Like, come on, admit you have a gambling problem. And he'll say, get out of my house. We're document, uh, you know, doc done. So you're right. We have to <laughs> we have to play by Jordan's rules, right? That was the name of the book. Um, I just... Um, yeah, listen, I had a problem with it to a degree, and I guess the problem I have is that it only gives more oxygen to the Jordan fanboys, the Jordan truthers, the Jordan, um, you know, worshippers up there that, look, Jordan discussed his flaws, and I just it just gives more oxygen because, you know, Jason, I, I try to deal with these guys online as much as I do, but it is hard to talk about people. It is hard to talk about Michael Jordan when, it's one thing if Michael Jordan talks about Michael Jordan, but when you know when we're having the water cooler talk about Michael Jordan, they're just repeating things that came out of Michael's mouth. Um, it gets a little hard to have that deeper conversation about the man. Okay, I mean, um, yeah, I don't know. I pretty much, yeah, I don't really have more than than that. I think it's just yeah, clearly you know, this is a, just... yeah, clearly this is a me. Yeah, this is a me problem thing I'm seeing. <laughs> I think you were just thought and you were like, yeah, this is cool shit. And meanwhile, I'm just like, uh, I'm, I'm losing sleep over it. Well, put it this way. Imagine, I, okay, this is, you know, we're both married men. Uh, I just, when I think of Michael Jordan just completely diverting that, I'm like, oh my God, like, imagine if I could get away with it. You know, imagine if some guy out there out in, uh, 
out in Toronto, out in the burbs or something, said, no, honey, I'm not addicted to pornography. I'm just <laughs> addicted to the female body and naked form. Um, yeah, I mean, we would love to just have those uh, have those ready-made excuses. But uh, yeah. no, this is, uh, listen, this is a small thing at the end of the day that um, it's just going to stir up more discourse. So the fact that we're discussing it and it's good. It, you don't have a problem with it. I kind of do. And uh, and that, that's great, too. So um, let's move along to another question that I think will uh, steer us back, which is um, here's a good one. I think you'd like to get into this term. This comes from Cade Westport from Seattle, Washington at Tofu Grunge. Hey, guys, love the show. How does Michael Jordan returning with the Washington Wizards affect how he is portrayed in The Last Dance? So I think well, what he's trying to say here, Jason, yeah. is that here is here is John Wayne exiting. He's he's put all the guns in his holster and he's walking away in the sunset. But you and I know that he kind of does come back, <laughs> and there and there was yeah. no mention. I mean, I mean, Pearl Jam just played out, yeah, fade to black, and yeah. But I mean, like, I don't think it matters really. Yeah, like I never thought it mattered. He wanted to play. Uh, it doesn't take away that he had two three-peats. Didn't take away that last shot. Um, he was actually still really good on that Wizards team too, like in his individual yeah, he was. performance. So, like, okay, even, he, he, was top, he was like, top 10 in scoring both years. People forget top 10 in yeah, scoring both years. I just, I never, like to me, I feel like that's something that writers, journalists, like people who like stories, like, you know, that that's, they, they, they care about that. And if you care about that, then you just got to watch wrestling. That's kind of my view on it. I mean, um, it's, yeah. I mean, it, it's that's not, true. I mean, that's, that's more the norm than, than the rarity, right? If we look at wherever it's Muhammad Ali, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Babe Ruth, I think, I'm not quite sure, but I don't think he just finished his career like as, as a, at the top in the Yankees. I think all these guys really just, play as long as you can um because you know it's nice to get paid so um yeah i don't think it changes a thing yeah that's that's my take on it. it you're absolutely right it doesn't change a thing for me the way i see it is michael jordan uh, comes out of college plays in the nba a little break comes back wins still in this physical prime and competitive prime yeah. And Washington Wizards for me was just like a bored millionaire who's clearly way too good to be playing in the local YMCA <laughs> and just said, yeah, yeah. I'm going to play in the NBA and I'm, I'm going to miss dunks. Um, guys are going to blow by me, but I think he scored well, uh, 96 nah. points. I think he I scored was... 96 points in two games. So, I mean, oh, he's just one thing. Yeah, it was, it was still incredible. Saying. Yeah. He knowing Jordan he wouldn't have laced up believing he's, yeah, they're going to blow by me. I'm sure when he laced up, he still believed going into every single game, he was going to dominate that whole court, even when he wasn't. Like, just that that's just how he was wired, right? Even through his Hall of Fame. Okay, speech, fair enough. So, but, but, but anyway, but 10, I know what you're saying, though. Okay, but like, yeah, guys, but, but 10 games in, I mean, 10 games in, he had to realize that the, the luster is gone. So he gave it the old college try for another year two complete years uh if i recall correctly no playoffs vince was kind of do you remember vince carter being vilified for not giving up the sparter the starter spot to him in the all-star game and 
in the end you did? Kind of, yeah, kind of now I do. Um, yeah, that was that was really weird. <laughs> I'm trying to remember oh, like, what happened in Kobe's last game, in his last All-Star game. Did he, he was a reserve, right? Or was he a starter? I can't remember. Well, he might have actually been voted in. He, so. he might have been voted that, in. And How about that? Jordan, it's his final season. He's not voted in as a starter. You know what I mean? Like, Vince Carter was voted in. Well, think in of all of the... Jordan. Well, if you remember that all-star voting, you know, and this thing called the internet came around, and that's that's not people. That's not Jordan, folks. If, if, picture this way. Picture this way. The people that lined up in 95 to get those Indiana tickets for his first game back, um, you know, those were those guys would have been our age and older. Okay. And then by the time Vince Carter's around and getting all-star voting and I mean, we know how kind of how it but, works. I okay. mean, if it really came down to a popularity contest and, you know, um, I don't know, maybe, but, but, but maybe people just didn't want to see. I think Michael Jordan wearing a Washington Wizards jersey did, did kind of turn people away, if I recall correctly. But um, just think for whole, a second. Though. Yeah, the whole Washington thing was, yeah, it was, it was, it was a weird, it was a, it was a weird fit for a lot but, of people. No, but, forget the know. Washington thing. I just, you're talking about Michael Jordan, like people who is her, heralded as the greatest basketball player ever. And you're just a few years removed. We're not talking 10, 15 years where the kids are too young to remember who's seen him play. It's all the True. same fans. True. I, I wonder like if people just viewed that all-star game and that vote differently than they do now. Like, hey, yeah, maybe Vince should be the starter because he's the best today. I don't know. Um, but I just find it interesting when you think back now, the idea that he was not voted in as a starter. Um, I'm going to look it up right now. Like, was Kobe Bryant a starter in his last All-Star game? Yeah. Look it up. I'll, um, I'll get another question out the way. Sure. This one comes from – this is a fun one, too. Uh, Phil Van Gundy yeah, from Long Island, New Sorry. York. Kobe Bryant was the leading vote getter, even though he was nowhere near the best guard in that final season. I think that I think that's it does reflect a change in the attitude of what that All Star game was and is today. So anyway, keep going. I just thought that was interesting. Sir, Phil Van Gundy. Yep, no problem. Van Gundy. Okay. Yeah, Phil Van Gundy from Long Island, New York. TVG for the win is his handle. Who wins a seven game series? Phil Jackson led Chicago Bulls or a Phil Jackson led LA Lakers. Wow. Battle of uh Battle of Zen Masters. The, one wearing We're talking about the Lakers, I, the I ones that lost to the Pistons or the with which you know what I mean? Like why don't we pick that last okay, okay. Season why don't we pick all right, all right, all right. Paul Malone? So I'll pick I'll still pick them. Uh I know they lost whoa, to Detroit. Whoa, whoa. You're, you're 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 picking a losing yeah. LA Lakers team with, with Malone and Payton over what, the ninety six Bulls? Then I am, I think so. Yep. I think so. Like, <laughs> okay. I mean, you look at that star part on that I, team. I, if they played that, if they, if they play that Detroit series another 15 times, do you think that the majority of the times that the Lakers still lose that? I know they, they lost four one. I know it was definitive that year. Chauncey, but they had, Chauncey, Chauncey Billups just played out of his goddamn mind though. You people keep forgetting like that guy. Yeah, yeah they did. They played very well. It was insane. He the was Lakers, insane. The Lakers were in, okay. Let's put it this way: if that team had not been in, was it their fourth finals at that point? Like it was their second or third? Like say if it was the second finals, like would they have beaten those Pistons? Like I think they would have. Like part of it was also the dysfunction among those players, right? With Shaq and Kobe, that point. yeah, like they're yeah, fed up yeah. with each other. So that's true. That's true. Say that's true. okay. Put it this way: to answer your question, 
if Shaq and Kobe still hate it, if they have not yet hated each other, then um, then it's a different game. If they already hate each other, then for sure the Bulls win. But uh, I, I'm trying to, yeah. Uh, um, All right, so we'll just pick the we'll just pick the uh, Lakers team that bit that beat the Pacers, and we'll just pick okay. the '96 Bulls because that's okay. you know they were they have the best regular season record. Up, you know when they got yeah. broken. But, um, yeah, but, you're right. I'll yeah, probably still so pick were... those Bulls because that was a much more experienced the... team. They were more experienced. Okay, the, the, Lakers clear, you're, you're... Been, the Lakers are much younger. Those Bulls are like in their 30s, you know. This, that was a young Kobe Shaq. So I just I think in, when it comes down yeah. to the championship games, like guys who've already been in multiple finals, like have, have done all that, I think it's you kind of pick that, that Bulls team. It, it's really hard to go against them. I think the... I think like the next team that it would take to beat the Bulls is really like the the Warriors with Kevin Durant. I think that's about it. Okay, well, yeah, we can we can go down that road. But um, okay, so if seventy wins, Bulls will beat any of the three Lakers first repeat, but probably yeah. not the Lakers team that lost against the Pistons because you like the addition of Malone and Tate. Um, no, nah, I, I didn't really have an answer. Uh, just like I'm just thinking, when you get <laughs> when you get that many Hall of Famers on one team, um, I think like it doesn't always work. But if you if you run that simulation, if you were to just do that, like yeah. you know, another 15 times, I'm pretty sure you're going to get more positive results and negative results. You know, it's just that maybe you don't have the luxury of time. Um, we've seen that. Before. I just think. I just think. Yeah, yeah I'm thinking. So I got two visions in my head. Number one, I see I see Phil Jackson wearing a lot better pants <laughs> in the Lakers season for some reason, not those triple pleated like all those guys were in the uh, in the Last Dance documentary. That was hilarious. Um, so I'm seeing a uh, yeah, I'm see- I'm picturing white haired Phil Jackson, pretty much just telling his Lakers team that listen, Kobe, you and Michael are going to be at it. And maybe Michael will switch off and Scotty will be on you at times, but just feed the big man. You know, Shaq stayed out of foul trouble because I think I think Luke Longley doesn't get enough credit for disrupting Shaq um, with the years that he had to guard him when he mm-hmm. was with Orlando. Um, and and, Shaq, and, and okay. all those baby Shaq. Well, yeah, well, not just young Shaq, but you know, Hacka Shaq did work throughout his career, man. So when the Bulls are running like uh, Weddington, um, Purdue, and Longley, I mean. Yeah, each one of those guys, they they get you know Shaq eats them alive, but not but, all three. And that's, know, that's 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 the good thing about the Bulls. Sorry, that's the good thing. Yeah, sorry, that is the good thing about Bulls. They would run three. The Bulls were good with their centers. They would run three like sixes out there, right? They never had like the big star center, but they all knew their role. They all know who who to get in foul trouble. They all know who to disrupt. They all know how to run the triangle. Um, so it'd be really interesting to see how Shaq. I know he's going to dominate. I know Shaq's going to get twenty. He's going to get twenty tens, um, in all those games. But can he stay out of foul trouble? Can he stay healthy? Can he stay uh, unfatigued? And it comes down to really um, Kobe MJ matchup, right? But, but so Shaq, it'd be, Shaq it'd be Ma- super interesting. Shaq on the Magic was not Shaq on the Lakers, though, right? He became... no, no, you're completely right. No, you're so... absolutely right. No, he became. He was in, when, you know, I think like, here's, he, here's the problem because I was a Magic fan. I was a Magic fan and seeing Hakeem just humble Shaq was yeah. like, oh my God, this guy's 
guy's never gonna win a ring. But I, I yeah. never gonna win. Like 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 Akeem just I I feel like Akeem exposed him and then he was unexposed. I mean, that's and like then it was a guy just, yeah. who's been around for ten years versus a like not a rookie but a young player who's playing on a team with another guy who like who's had his motor in question to Penny Hardaway. I can't remember who the coach was. Mm-hmm. Was it Byron Hill at that time? I can't uh, remember. Brian, Brian Hill. Yeah. Byron, Byron Hill, Hill, right? Brian yeah. Hill. And like, I, I don't know what he ever did after the magic. So like that team, I mean, maybe they overachieved, but like when you talk about hall of famer, Phil Jackson, Kobe, future hall of Fa- future, like top five or 10 player all time. And like, um, you got Sha- Shaq. And then we're not even mentioning the other guys on the peripheral, whether it's Rick Fox and Robert Ori and, um, and Derek Fisher, like oh, and they, and Glenn Rice, Glenn Rice yeah, was part so, of one of the two teams. I think Horace Ryan Shaw, too, yeah, yeah, Horace yeah. They had, so, uh, Lakers were super deep. So I, I think that uh, Lakers. I, I just, yeah, I, I think that Peak Shack. I don't even know how you stop him either. I'm just trying to think about no, like, no. Um, so not only Peak Shack, but 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 Lakers were the team that took former All Stars. Yeah. Former starters and brought him off the bench. I don't know. I guess I don't know what the cap situation was back then, but yeah. basically, I'm sure these guys were offered big money to go elsewhere or come here. You're going to play key minutes, like eight to twelve, and you're really going to help us. And you're going to make you're going to make your coin. And oh, by the way, yeah. we have a chance to win some championships here. So yeah. they really broke the mold when it came to that. Yeah. It's funny, right? Back when you hear about chance to win championships today, like the 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 writers run off with things like, well, you know, the tax is low in this state, it's the weather's bad in that state. And it's like, it's just mm-hmm. funny what how the conversations change. It's like at the end of the day, like you know, maybe the player just wants to win. So, yeah, yeah. Well, let's piggyback off that. Yeah. Um, this comes from uh, you might have to help me out with this one, Hinson Yao. Okay. Am I saying that right, Jason? I think so. I don't know. I don't know him personally, so I think that sounds about right. <laughs> no one's, no one here is accusing you of knowing everyone in Singapore, just for the record. Anyways, he writes to us from at Crazy Lit Asians. What, what was more likely, Bulls winning in 1994 and 95, or the Bulls winning in the short 1999 season against the San Antonio Spurs? I think it was easy. I think it's the the ninety nine season. Number one, he they did lose in ninety five. They straight up just did lose to the Magic. Um, ninety four, we it was already documented quite well in the, in the last dance that T. Jordan was spent at the end of that uh, ninety three season. So going in a fourth season against Hakeem and the Rockets, and actually even before then, trying to get past those really good Knicks. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think mm-hmm. we would have. I would think. I think we would have seen. Uh, those Bulls lose in 94 as they did in 95. Uh, that's what I think. I mean, I think he took some time off, um, which obviously is unheard of today, but uh, like they were going to, they were not going to win those two seasons. Whereas the 99 season, wow. if you had an eighth seed make it to the finals, then yeah, I think all bets are off. And you had other guys showing up like 50 pounds overweight off the, off the strike. Cause they weren't working out in the off season. And like, yeah, I, I think, uh, I think Jordan's, uh, Jordan's like the thing with the 99 season, I guess there's some caveats there, right? You're assuming that you can get Jordan back. You're assuming it's either Phil Jackson back or one of his disciples that Jordan trusts that somehow they, they can lure Scotty back 
even like because the thing is that last dance like that it was poised to dissolve afterward right all the contracts were kind of coming up i mean scotty i think it was it was a trade right i don't think he was actually a free agent yet um and uh, the trade and, to the rockets yeah i can't yeah, remember how that went trade, right yeah and and rodman he was done right like he was already doing other stuff through that whole last year so Mm-hmm. It was a bit tough. Yeah, he got but, released, I believe. Yeah. But if someone were, if if you had to really pick between, like, going up against stacked Knicks and Rockets and Magic in ninety four, ninety okay, ninety four because they did lose in ninety five, versus that ninety nine season, which who knows how everything goes, then uh, you got to at least give any, you got to give any team a chance in ninety nine, especially the defending champs. Yeah, I'm gonna agree with you, yeah. probably for different reasons. I think they, right. I think in a shortened year. Then, okay. so so I'm, what I'm thinking is okay, Jordan, gun to your head, and Bulls, you you have to form these teams, okay? So in '98, you have to stay together because you're going to play a shortened season the next year. Um, yeah, I think they have a really good shot of going to the finals, and uh, yeah. and I believe Knicks made it out of the East and they faced the Spurs. So yeah, I'm willing to give that one to Michael. It's I'm the '94 gonna... yeah. one that I struggle with. It's okay. because um, two reasons. Number one. Uh, let's just let's just say that '94 season, it's uh, Horace Grant, and in '95, it's uh, it's Dennis Rodman, and I just don't know. I mean, if you tell Michael Jordan, "Hey, man, you have to play the '94 season," and they get to the finals, they beat the Knicks, and then it's just Houston was so deep. I mean, yeah. I'll agree with you on this. I think had they played, let's just say the Chicago Bulls did play either the 94 or the 95 Houston Rockets and 94. won. Like, I think for the purpose of our discussion, okay, but, lost 95, but... Yeah. yeah. Okay. What I'm trying to say is, is that yeah. you take the um, Lakers, Trailblazers, Suns, Rockets, uh, Sonics, and Jazz, right. and Spurs. Man, that's big. I'd say that the Houston Rockets are are the Chicago Bulls' toughest test in the finals. Yeah. yeah. Just because – That's a good forget, point. Forget that he's running on fumes. Forget that he's running on fumes. Just that team was just so deep. I mean, Thor, Elijah, Drexler, Cassell, Steve Smith – sorry, Kenny Smith. Um, yeah. Were deep. They were really deep. Young Sam Cassell, young Robert Ory. Um, sorry, Maxwell. I'm forgetting Brennan Maxwell oh, yeah. as well, yeah. Do you think yeah, they were a super deep team? If you look at that eight-year stretch, right, the best player that Jordan could have played, like among the people that he did, but include the Rockets teams. Do you think it's Akeem? Do you think he's the best opponent that Jordan would have faced? Like you have Barkley, you've got Clyde. Like I know there's Magic, but Magic was kind of older at that point. So, like, who is current? Is what Kareem? Would Hakeem have been the best player Jordan would have had to play in that in that eight-year stretch? Yeah, because I think Akeem, you could have Akeem's MVP years, season and, and championships. The argument, he wasn't just the MVP; he was the best player in the league. And if Jordan did did play that, I don't know. Akeem was just, I mean, he was brilliant for two years. I mean, everyone got their peak, right? Whether it's two, three, four, five years, Akeem just happened to be those two years he won the championship. Yeah, and that's kind of interesting. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely he would have been, even though, even though. Even though Michael did play Barkley in the finals on in Barkley's MVP year, and he did play Malone in Malone's MVP sure. year, yeah, I don't are think. They, and, and not, 
No, they're not. And not only that, Jordan is better than Barkley during Barkley's MVP season, yeah. and Jordan is better than Carl Malone in Carl Malone's MVP season. I don't know if Michael Jordan would have been the best player in 1994, 1995 with yeah. the, this kind of season that Akeem won. I mean, people people have to realize this this Akeem was just it's a complete beast. It, it almost it, it's too bad, you know. It's too bad. It it, it should be the biggest what if. Um, yeah. I don't think it gets brought up enough. You want to talk about simulations? I mean, pay that guy um, yeah. whatever he needs to do to create that supercomputer to make that simulation happen because yeah. that would have just been incredible. I almost want to. I, I'm picturing me watching that game uh, through my fingers. That's how um, that's how nail biting it would have been competitively yeah. because. Yeah. Jordan, correct me if I'm wrong, Jason, Chicago Bulls were favorites in every single one of their championships, correct? I believe so, actually. Yeah. It has to be. I I see it somewhere, and I think that was one of the people that have defended LeBron and his for having lost in the finals was LeBron was pretty much an underdog in the majority of the times he was in the finals. Exactly. Uh, And there were two times he actually won those matchups. So, yeah. Jordan, I can't picture Vegas picking. Individual games, yes. I mean, if, if Bulls win two in Chicago and then they went to um, Seattle for game three or something like that, yeah, I could see Vegas, you know, making a pick and game or something like that. But there's no way, there's no way any sports book is picking any of these teams to win at the at the start of a se- at the start of the series. So right. yeah, I, I um, but 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 the um, but Houston against Chicago that would have been really interesting to see how those odds would have. Yeah. Out, so. Yeah. Um. Let's um. We mentioned Jerry Krause a bit. I mean, <laughs> I I loved it when he shut down that press conference. I think it was Craig Sager that asked <laughs> the question. Way to go, Craig. About, yeah. um, it's great. Way to go, Craig. Yeah. Uh, backstabbing. I just thought Jerry was just this little man who was portrayed yeah. as this evil little man but i guess an evil genius but um i think if there's one nitpick of the whole series then it's got to be the portrayal of jerry cross that's about it i mean yeah you just like it's really he he you know that's uh i'm not gonna we're not gonna get nasty on this but it's like you can understand how people can immediately look at him and want to dislike him and it's sort of he's being portrayed that way in the film but post-doc like you have a lot of uh Credible people who have had to deal with him, who have spoken quite highly, like because like whether it was Tony Kukoc and, and Jalen Rose who traded for him or even almost got him uh, initially with the draft, and um, I'm forgetting who else. Um, but like he, you know, he probably didn't. Yes, they acknowledged like what he did for the team, but uh, I think he he got a little bit short shrift. I thought in the uh, in the doc more than anybody. I think. Well, yeah, I mean, he didn't get a chance to speak. They would just show uh, B-roll of him from other interview segments, which I always, yeah. I kind of roll my eyes uh, because he's not asked direct questions. And that's another thing, too, that yeah. people... Um, but even if he did that speak, he said, I don't think he... I think they would have portrayed him pretty much the same. Just like Isaiah. Isaiah oh, came out way worse in this oh, 100%, doc than if he just didn't participate. 100%. And not only no, that, that was Isaiah's own doing, how... Isaiah could have said something else. Instead, he decided to just, you know, double down and just, oh, he didn't want well, we to weren't, it, we so. weren't, Jason, we weren't there, right? We don't know if he added more, if he was more nuanced. I mean, the documentary showed what he showed. Yeah. I think the right thing to do is now with the interview Isaiah and, and kind of have him do a tell-all, 
but I always find it funny that in addition to it being the last dance, it was also the last word because how many times was Michael Jordan handed the iPad and was, was asked to comment on something that was said, knowing full well that the other person would not get a rebuttal. I always found that kind of cheeky, but um, anyways, um, yeah. yeah j- Pardon me? Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. I think of it that way. Yeah. But again, it doesn't bother me. It's what again. It is. This is a documentary. Yeah. Everyone can go make their own documentary if they want. Good luck trying to get the world to watch it. That's my whole point, right? I mean, everyone can make their own op-ed now, which they have. I mean, all these sports um, radio shows are going to have all these guys on, and, and, and plenty of them have immediately jumped on. I mean, Horace Grant has, has gone on radio, and uh, Craig Hodges as well, talking about the... Um, what, how, what, is, uh, what are they called? Like the cocaine circus? Or oh, yeah, yeah. They, right. um, the traveling cocaine circus. Co- yeah, something like that, right? So Craig Hodges has spoken about that. But, yeah, I found that Jerry was um, – I think you asked me why I called Jerry Krause uh, the little Masayu Jerry. Masayu Jerry, okay. Yeah, yeah, the reason why – yeah, you remember I, I said that, yeah. Yeah, tell me. You asked me why. Well, the reason why I saw so much – um, Masai Ujiri and Jerry Krause and, and vice versa was because um, forget their stature because you know Masai Ujiri could probably be a bouncer at an, an LA uh, nightclub but um, no it's just that um, they both have this the thing I loved about Masai Ujiri is that this guy like he's pretty much tried to trade Kyle Lowry like twice every year <laughs> right and <laughs> it's, it's not really it's yeah. It's not really a secret. And whenever he's asked about it, he's like, I'm just trying to make this team better. I'm just trying to make this team better. And then when the Raptors won the championship, they just embraced right away. It's like they both got it. I, I, I know that Kyle Lowry hates whenever trade rumors are coming up because <laughs> he's always a part of it. He's yeah. never been he's never been the prom queen, Kyle Lowry. We, there's always been yeah. better point guards, yet we sign him to top one money. And um, But you and know, here's yeah. Jerry Krause trying to <laughs> – and here's Jerry Krause trying to underpay um, underpay Scotty Pippen or, or not, you know, just, just well, not renege on, on his current deal. And, Scott, Scotty's going to um, some of that on himself, too. You know? Oh, of course. And then, no, no, no. I don't want to you get it. Fire that agent, so. Yeah, agent, you're, yeah, or get some more right guard ads. I think he did after Charles. But, um, yeah, so, no, what I'm trying to say is, is that I think it takes a certain pit bull to be an executive like that. And Masai Ujiri and Jared Krause fit the bill. I mean, you know, the guy shut down an interview. I mean, it was just incredible. Like, uh, that to me was just, it was probably the greatest thing that I saw in that documentary. That was, that was definitely one of my mark-out moments that this guy just shut down shame the interview. And then, shame on you for asking. And people know who to blame. And it was Craig Sager. Right? It was just fantastic. So, no. I just see a lot of similarities between their management style. They're, they're no nonsense. It doesn't mean they don't care about these players, but they're really asked to do one thing, and that's to, to bring championships to these cities. And okay. they're just unapologetic. So that, that's, that's kind of what I meant for it. I guess I'm not seeing um, – I guess I wasn't seeing that. I'd have to think a bit harder to think – Like I mean, besides – like. I look at him beyond basketball. That guy's like a straight up diplomat, you know, like you can see him easily doing something in the public space. Like when he leaves basketball one day, um, oh, of course, very just suave knows how to handle it. Like, I mean, the fact that you can keep trying to trade Kyle Lowry every year and somehow you still generate some kind of cohesive team. I mean, shows you how you know how to manage your operation. 
Jerry Krause, I mean, yeah, like he, he's managed his operation. I mean, but he's a bit like, uh, he's a, I mean, man, like you have to look at Vince McMahon, like Mr. McMahon to see the parallel really, like just the evil boss. Like that's kind of it. I mean, I, I don't know really anybody else in, in this, in the space that I can really think about or I could draw a comparison just because Interesting. I don't think the Raptors necessarily hate Masai. And that's kind of the takeaway I'm, I'm going with this, where some guy's the villain and the other guy's not really. Like, yes, Kyle Lowry himself might take it personally as being traded. Um, but, like, the other guys, uh, like, Jakob Pertl got traded a few years ago. I don't know like personally he takes it. And the fact is, Kyle Lowry wasn't a player that Masai actually uh, signed or traded for. I think he was already there, right, when... Um, when Masai came and then Masai was trying to trade him to New York. Um, I believe that was the case. Right. But then that, that trade got vetoed by uh, James Dolan. He didn't want to look like an idiot for another bad trade with Toronto. So, um, so it's a bit different. Um, the, yeah, like that, that, I mean, this is a bit why that the allure of that Bulls team is going to stand out because it's just like such a unique situation where you can have like, yeah. This guy who's running around with professional wrestlers and movie stars who's sort of there, not there, but he's like with the third most important player on the team. The other guy who's just like purposely almost sabotaging a team for half the season because of surgery, who's grossly underpaid yet somehow still showing up. And it's like the owner's not listening to the best player of all time. He's just saying, no, I'm sticking with my general manager. And the general manager who's telling the coach, uh, you're not going to coach you next year. That's it. Now go and try and win a championship. Like it wouldn't happen today. Um, it's just it's just a different time, I guess. I mean, this is probably generational because if you think of even outside of basketball, like in society, your parents, your grandparents working in the same company for like 20, 30 years, just putting up with shit from uh, from their bosses and their companies. Whereas like our generation, if we didn't like it, like we might just say, all right, you know what? I'm not dealing with this. I'm out. And and you see that kind of in today's NBA too. Um, so it just it forces the hand of an ownership group to not be that way. So it's a one of one. It's just a really unique situation in that last dance. Yeah, no, and then made all the points that I would have loved to have made, but only better. You're right. There's so many things that happened during that period that just wouldn't happen now because of PBA and the athletes now are so buttoned up in their interviews. Um, can we also mention that about Michael Jordan? He was, wow, what a maestro with the press. And even in his documentary, Michael Jordan can say things that would take me three paragraphs to say. I felt like he finds the right word. It's funny because he would take like 40 shots a game, but he only needs five words to say certain things. It's just, um, he's just yeah. got a real, a real knack for that. Yeah, I wonder just, yeah, I just, I, I don't think well, he ever went yeah. to. I don't I'm think he sure. ever got coached up. I'm sure he came from a well, good household. I, I'm going to take a guess because about... Nike had a had a good amount of work that they you know helped him with to get him get him ready. Really? Because if you if you remember that if you remember that last the way the last dance ended was his interview in college with Pearl Jam playing him out, and I think he was talking about joining. Like this was pre Nike. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I think he was just. I think he's. I think what we on. I think what we don't understand is just because. So a guy like LeBron James, how his uh, high schemes were being televised, 
that doesn't mean that Michael Jordan didn't have local press on him at high school and college. I mean, this guy has had reporters and, you know, local, um, local journalists interview him. So I think he was very used to that and just became very good very quickly. And of course, Nike came along and, and helped them and probably his agent helped them about, you know, how to talk point. and uh, I mean, what to do with... for your brand. But, but some guys have it and some guys don't. And, well, I think you also look at a look at Jordan's parents. It. Jordan's parents quite involved in his life, and in which whenever you've heard them talk, um, you can see that they have it. They have it together. They were quite influential in his life, so they kind of set an example for him. You can kind of see that. Yeah, absolutely. No, I just thought it was amazing because he was so. Sure. This is brilliant. I, I, just, I just thought the man was brilliant the way he would handle these yeah. post conferences. Uh, um, yeah, pre and post, and. Um, it's part of the alert. A little, yeah. If he's not that way, yeah, you don't have the charisma. So that's just the thing. He would just he would have that little suave smile, kind of look at you, kind of say his one or two things. Yeah. He'd and he'd know when to walk off because he knew that when he'd walk off, the interview's over. And I think he gave the guys enough meat. Okay, we up. Uh, Jason, we'll just wrap this up because we've uh, we've touched on a lot of things with uh, with our impressions of the last dance um we'll end it with one more question that comes from Jelena Danic from Belgrade Serbia at Danic Danic who in your opinion was the best interviewees aside from Michael Jordan um I personally really enjoyed um and I guess we can also discuss who who came off looking who got the rub right we're both wrestling fans who really got the rub on this doc? Um, for me, uh, kind of a two-parter. I really, my understanding of the 1990s athletes, um, it was so, my goodness, I was so ignorant. You know, I grew up on this era, but then just kind of, you know, really, really focused on, let me start that again. My perception of the 1990s athlete was so ignorant, and this thank goodness for this documentary, just to see how hard these guys worked and how in shape they were and how disciplined they were. Sure, they don't have the sports science that they have today, the nutrition, the strength and conditioning. Um, you know, we have gluten, free soy diets, things that just weren't at their disposal back then, but these guys were still doing their two-a-days, and you know, the, the, the grind was there. So I'm really glad I watched this because my ignorance for the 1990 elite athlete, the Michael Jordan, the Scottie Pippins, the Dennis Rodman was just, you know, I almost like would think of those guys saying, oh, you know, they really couldn't hack it today. But I think when you're a stud athlete, it does, it does take a few generations for another one to come along. So I have no doubt in my mind that these three athletes, could play in today's game um they would just have to it's just like you and i have talked offline about iphones and all this i mean you know version 5 comes along and ios comes along so they would just they would need a software update but i think the hardware was good to go um yeah i really I, love bj armstrong yeah go I ahead mean, sorry yeah you want to jump in there go ahead talking, well you're talking about like kind of the work ethic that those guys have like fact that they're just practicing hard and always going hard i mean like yeah, different era. I think the thing is, too, is there are a lot of players in that league. When you look at a lot of the, the footage, like you can tell there are guys that just athletically wouldn't have cut it today. 
today's like overall across the whole league, just there are just more just natural athletes in today's NBA. Whereas back then, the game had involved a lot more hustle and a lot more work. And therefore, those practices really would have made the difference for a lot of guys. That's kind of what my take was when you see it. Um, if you were talking about the absolute elite guys like Rodman and, and Pippen and Jordan, okay, I mean, those guys are going to make it anywhere, whether, whether they practice or not. But they also have all these guys like Jared, I don't remember his name, Jed Bushler and Bill Paxson and Steve yeah. Kerr. Like, they needed that much practice because, like, they were not natural athletes. I mean, they had a great skill and they focused on that skill and they became really good at what they were asked to do. Whereas today's basketball player across the whole NBA, they can defend, they can shoot, they can basically do everything what a top tier player in the 90s were going to be. Basically, like, that's, I think that's, that plays a role as to why you see a difference in like the work regimens and how much practices there are and why it's a lot more about learning the schemes and stuff and, and, and kind of watching video than it is just having that many practices. So, I think so. I think because sports science got better and they realized, okay, well, you know what? Maybe having that much practice isn't really doing that much more than just having these guys just rest and be ready for a game and just like, um, you know, observe, like have some footage. I mean, they go through a training camp and really when you're playing like three, four games a week, I mean, I don't know what that extra practice between the games is going to do versus like the games themselves, you know, like in terms of physical work. Mental work, yes, you need to have to sort of prepare for different teams. So, yeah, that's the only kind of thing I would, I would say that's a bit different than the 90s um, teams versus today. Um, yeah, well, yeah, no, I, and, and to slightly add to that as well is um, they just don't practice what they do now. I mean, these guys were having full-on games. And if you look, that's actually in all sports. Boxers do not spar anymore. They do drill work. Um, basketball they they don't do full on scrimmage. I mean, they'll they'll do drill work. They'll do plays. I mean, these guys know the importance of rest, and you know they'd rather save the miles for games than in practice. So, it's 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 completely different. And um, well, yeah, and it's also I think when, um, when you do those drills, you like you actually practice that skill, that drill, right? Which I think they were or yeah. kind of doing in Europe before, like in America, right? So that's why a lot of the Europeans yes. that came over were generally sound in their fundamental skills, which America eventually yes. had to catch up. And it's one of the criticisms of the AAU system, which focuses more on games than actual, like the, the different drills yeah. and stuff you do in practice. But anyway, we're kind of going different tangent, but sorry, I, I think you were going to say something else. Was it, did I cut you off? Well, yeah, I was just going to say two things. What's your favorite Bill Paxton movie? I think you meant to say John Paxton, <laughs> but uh, that's me being a dick. <laughs> <laughs> that shows you like how much I think of him. I mean, I'm just saying like, yeah, you know, good oh, shot. Oh my goodness! Oh no! Yeah, I oh, just partial to the second '90s team, the second repeat. <laughs> you know, I, I honestly, at that point, I wasn't necessarily as big a basketball fan as I became later, particularly after the baseball strike. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you asked me what's the rub, like who kind of came off looking great. I really think. Uh, more, you know, more than anybody, it's got to be Phil Jackson. When you think about the, because yes, he was heralded as this Hall of Fame coach, the greatest of all time, having won, I forget how many championships now, uh, 12 championships with, sorry, 11 with uh, the Lakers and with the Bulls. And then he joins New York, takes on the front office position in the Knicks, and he just, he's just, his reputation's just taken a hit for the last, uh, over what five six years or something like that and it was like whether it was 
his treatment, his kind of mistreatment of Carmelo, depending on you want to look at it. He made some other comments that rubbed LeBron in his camp the wrong way. He he does get credit for picking Kristaps, and that was probably the highlight of his time there. But he somehow Kristaps somehow soured on Phil. I think it might have had to do with his allegiance to Carmelo, like trying to force the triangle in a team that maybe wasn't suited for it, or for whatever reason wasn't picking up on it. And then the crux of it all was his his. his emphasis on mindfulness was pretty much mocked by the Knicks. And then in turn, somewhat members of the same media that had celebrated him in the 90s were kind of saying, well, maybe he's a bit of out of touch with his team. But this documentary put it back into, back into focus of like what, what greatness Phil achieved as a coach with the Bulls. And so I think that he has uh, he definitely comes off looking strong after this documentary. And that's like kind of a testament to how much respect that Jordan has for Phil. That's um, I just blew my mind. I never even thought of it that way. Um, and now I'm just replaying Phil Jackson, this documentary, and he was really stoic. And um, that uh, shirt that he wore and whatever um, ficus was behind him, I, that's how little I know about my trees. But he was just, yeah, he came off. I, you know what, Jason? I, I probably have to watch all the Phil Jackson segments again because you really just, um, you really struck a chord with me there. Um, for me, it was um, B.J. Armstrong um, and Steve Kerr, but I've been a big fan of B.J. Armstrong for a while. And listen, Steve Kerr is there's a reason why he was on the stock, and um, we all know he's well spoken. We expected no less um, from him in this documentary. So we knew about Steve Kerr going in. I knew a bit about B.J. because he'd done um, the Rick Eisen uh, show a couple times, and he's been asked about Jordan and you know, how he stacks up against other players. I just always loved his answers. I mean, this guy played okay. with Michael Jordan. He was a And good you would think he would be, yeah, you would think he would be such a fanboy when it came to it. But no, BJ gives real answers. And I'm so glad that they kept the answers. And I, I had to write this down because I just absolutely loved what he wrote when they were addressing MJ and his bulliness. BJ Armstrong, um, for those who recall, said, quote, was he a nice guy? He couldn't have been nice. With that kind of mentality he had, you can't be a nice guy. He would be difficult to be around if you didn't truly love the game of basketball. He is difficult. Um, to me, that was that was my favorite quote. That was my favorite. That was that was the seminal moment of encapsulating MJ, his aura. Um, and yeah, I mean, just thank you, BJ, for giving that answer because that's that was that was the money line for me in this in this documentary. Yeah, I thought um, BJ was definitely good in his interviews. I, I thought he was quite articulate in explaining kind of yeah his views on everything. Uh, yeah, one hundred percent agree with that. Uh, one thing uh, for another day is whether or not that's actually accurate, that you have to be that ruthless. I mean, competitive, yes, demanding, yes. But when you're talking about, when people talk about whether you're nice or not, I mean, yeah, I think it's debatable um, in terms of what's required to, uh, to win. Yeah, so I, I'll just, we'll just leave it at that I, for now. Yeah, absolutely. No, you remind me of, um, of the Steve Jobs movie where he was asked by, um, forget his number two's name, but oh, yeah, it's, it's not binary. Yeah, he goes to him. It's not binary. You can be a leader and be nice, right? That was the yeah. It's the a very good argument. Yeah. So using a good analogy, yeah. Down here in the valley, you see yeah. it. You see different leaders, different ways, like different. Diff- 
among very successful companies, different approaches. Now, I mean, some people just are wired differently and they respond to different stimuli and that's how that company succeeds. So it's true. Um, yeah, so I, I see what you're saying. Well, this is a good time to remind people that uh, we are in different coasts. Um, I'm here in Toronto, you're out in the Bay Area, Jason. So send so send all your John Paxton hate mail to Jason <laughs> because uh, no love there. But Jason, this was fun. Um, let's, yeah, uh, let's enjoy this it. Up. Um, yeah, this was good stuff, man. So let's uh, let's keep at it, and hopefully, um, hopefully we'll get some um, engaging responses. Let's keep it up. So this was, I guess, part one of who knows on the last dance. Yeah, but, that's uh, great. Thank you, Jason. This was great. Thanks, thanks, man. Looking forward to doing it again. Take care. Absolutely. Son, stick to your vision. Keep the composition. Seen a lot of shame in the game. Seen a lot of pain with the fame.